Skytra futures and derivatives trading for airline revenue. Tell me this is not a terrible fucking idea. Oh, I, I can have some fun with this one. This is going to be great. It's like the housing crisis, but for airlines. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Welcome to episode 277 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by our regulars, Seth Miller, Fosma Moon, gentlemen. We're all here. Yeah. Hail, hail. You're back in the States, Foz? I am. Seth, you're on the West Coast? I am. We we traded places this week. Yeah. East Coast, you're West Coast. Strange times we live in. West Coast, right? Yeah, it's something like that. (laughs) Um, So we got some news just around general airline stuff. Uh, Some some big news, I guess, and then some not so big news. Um, I guess let's just start with American. Uh, American is hiring uh, Brian Zanottens. I don't know how to say the last name, Brian Z. uh, And he's going to take over network planning for American. Uh, He used to work for uh, Continental and United. Um, and then Western? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> he's, I, if I remember correctly, he's from Western Canada. Like maybe he's from Calgary proper. So it was sort of a homecoming for him when he went back. Mm. Um, but the, the interesting part of this to me is he, he's been in the industry a long, long time. Uh, a lot of good experience. And especially uh, in, with just the developments that have happened in the last couple of weeks since he got there. Uh, always heavily focused on Asia. <laughs> So in, at United, he was, sort of, as I understand it, the driving force behind the push into more Chinese secondary cities, trying to grow those markets, trying to expand that way, among other things. Uh, th- those markets didn't all work out and certainly they're working out less good even now, um, but also then showed up at WestJet right as they were planning their 787 with the proper premium cabins. And you may recall the initial announcements were for Asia. Yeah. And then someone somewhere along the way was like, eh. Maybe not. And they switched it back to being uh, back back to Europe. But he's got an interesting Asia focus and that historically, at least. And that makes me wonder just what the situation is going to be with American because they don't have Asia focus. Third, third time's a charm, I guess. <laughs> well, let's be real. Does AA have any real focus internationally outside of Heathrow? Because they're even Miami, Miami to South America, but even in South America, they're contracting. They're dropping a lot of routes. Well, maybe that's why they're bringing him in. He's well, going to develop Phoenix into a world class Asia hub. Oh God, yeah, that, that's what, that's what everybody wants. <laughs> uh, then, which, well, would, which would take longer, the takeoff roll or the flight? Well, that, that, <laughs> that, that actually brings up an interesting question: <laughs> Can a fully loaded triple seven take off from Phoenix in the summer? Not, Not during the day, either. exactly. <laughs> it's a pity they gave up those nighttime slots to Haneda. They, uh, I mean, to be fair, they, they do fly on Phoenix to uh, what's called London. Yeah, but that's only five thousand miles, right? That's right. not. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not all the way to Asia. Yeah, it's five thousand miles with uh, not with the wind, not against it. And and mostly half of it's over land. So, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah I don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, and, for and him, I guess. I mean, he's not necessarily only going to do Asia. Like he he has you know experience more broad than that. But it's just that was sort of his I don't know, his mark, his whatever. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and, and on a tangent, I mean, I find it interesting how much these guys move around inside the airline industry. Well, you know? I, yes, but you would think you know that the maps would be the same at that point. Yeah, well, well not even that we're planning. Though. I'm just talking about in general. Oh yeah, you know, it's a very incestuous, uh, or you know, 
Yes. Uh, comms head, one of the senior, more senior comms people at uh, American just moved to United also. I don't know if you saw that. No. Are they, how do they feel about the rebranding? Well, how do these guys not have non-competes? Yeah, that's a good question. American waived it for uh, what's his face, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For um, not Parker, the other one, Scott. Yeah, Kirby. Kirby. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. You know, exciting stuff. Um, another another kind of uh, big story is that South African Airlines is kind of cutting some flights back right now. Um, yeah, this this is a weird one. They did, but then they maybe got some. They maybe uh, like a week later got some extra funds. Actually, this is just dated today. Uh, did get some extra funds released. Uh, so it seems like maybe they're going to bring those routes back, but it was the awkwardness of announcing we are continuing operations as normal and 12 hours later announcing, oops, actually we're canceling these few flights. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it's a non-story then. So yeah, I tried, I, tried message, I tried to message you in the sidebar to not go there, but we, <laughs> we missed it. Sorry. That's okay. Um, but I mean, but it, it was a story. Now it's not. But it highlights the precarious nature they're in, right? So something is clearly up. And so, you know, there's clearly a sense of pride from South Africa of not wanting these guys to collapse. So the question is, are they just, are the uh, managers announcing things and then the state's coming up behind saying, we'll throw some money so you don't cancel these just to keep them afloat, which doesn't actually help the airline in the long run. I mean, help the airline in the long run is an interesting challenge with respect to South African Airways. Or pretty much any state-owned airline. Sure, but some... I mean, this one has been a disaster for a long time. I'm just the math on this. Holy crud. They pulled $137 million in funding uh, to in the next tranche of their loans here or funding or whatever. It's going uh, work if you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> With another $100 million available, $100 available if they get things figured out. Wow. Do, do you think that's actually possible? I mean, South Africa has been struggling for a long time. Uh, yes. Uh, they have definitely been struggling. Is it possible? Sure. Anything is. Uh, could they actually become a well-run airline? It would take either a significant commitment of structural and management and operational change and policies and all those sorts of things that is generally very hard to implement at an airline. Yeah. Uh, or probably spending more than the $137 million that they've got right now. Because yeah. here's what I, what's, what strikes me kind of as odd, right? Uh, you have Ethiopian in yep. North, Northern, Northeastern Africa uh, doing fairly well, um, growing. Sure. Uh, and then you have South African that is perpetually struggling. Um, and is that, do you think that's because just where they are in like, they're, they're very far South. They, it's not a, you know, it's, it does have a, a, tourist economy um, with some industry and mining and things like that. But do they, do they just, is it just their location? I mean, does that make it difficult for them to be, they're not going to be like a connecting carrier, right? They're not going to be Ethiopian who's connecting people all over Africa from the U S from Europe, from Asia in some cases. Um, Do you think that's, that's playing a part here? I mean, I think it could be part of it. Right. Um, But I think part of it, a lot more of it is, it's just mismanaged, right? They have, like, I just read that uh, this week that they're they've put up their three forties finally up on the auction block, so they're <laughs> trying to get rid of them um, to consolidate three thirties, and they just started three fifty service to JFK last week, I think, or two weeks yeah. ago, um, very recently. So they're, but they haven't kept on t- top of being efficient either. So, but I think the biggest problem they suffer, and I don't think Ethiopian suffers from this, um, is the, the the entitlement of the staff. 
Mm. And I think Ethiopian has a much younger staff and is better managed and because they have a much younger staff. The entitlement isn't there. Yeah. And, that, and that's what, what you repeatedly hear about South African is the struggle is what the staff is demanding. Mm. It's very similar to Air India. Mm. And I, I think we should get into the Air India conversation. I think it may have been lower down on the agenda, but yeah, yeah. get into that now because we're in it. Um, I will say I tend to agree for the most part with the caveat that part of why Ethiopian is doing well right now is it's fresh new young fleet with no maintenance issues and limited maintenance costs. And it will be very interesting to see if it can maintain that over time, right? This is new, fresh airline, younger, also younger people, but like a lot of fresh planes, generally easy to do. There's CapEx associated with it, but the OpEx and the operational in general is much easier. And then as things start to age, that it falls apart it sort of the operation in general not necessarily the plane so it gets harder and it will be interesting to see just how that plays out with ethiopian over time do they become like south african where things are really challenged well and let's be real right ethiopian is still evolving right look at how often they post schedule changes they announce a route the next day they cancel it and then three days later it's reinstated yeah right and they're talking houston and dallas right yeah houston there was dallas um you know dallas dublin Right, they're they're trying to figure out how this stuff works as well. Yeah, and, and Stephen, to your initial question, is it location? Yes, like we, we're we're learning very quickly that point to point airlines are much much harder to run, especially if it's all long haul, um, run profitably. And the vast majority of what South African Airways does is long haul and point yeah. to point. Well, and the other thing is, you know, I think the leisure traveler is more open to taking connections when it saves the money. Well, especially right. when they look at the flight time, right? They're like yeah. fourteen hours. Well, I'll stop in Dubai yeah. or. Exactly. I mean, we see this great success with the Middle East carriers, right? But because they're like, well, it's cheaper and see, it gives me an overall better experience and I lose a few hours, but I get to stretch my legs. Yeah. Well, and so let's let's talk about Air India, right? Uh, the Indian government uh, is trying to sell off Air India. <laughs> when the government is trying to sell you off, I mean, it doesn't bode well for you, right? Uh, that, no, I mean, they... You could argue that this is the Indian government recognizing it doesn't belong in the business of trying to manage a commercial airline because it's a complicated and advanced thing. And so they just want it. They want the brand to live on, but they'd rather it be done, you know, with competent management. Yeah. Well, I guess one of my, one of my questions is with the new law yeah. that they've instated, would you have to be Hindu to be able to bid on it? Oh, harsh. <laughs> you can always, always try, Fuzz. <laughs> I don't think that would go very far. Uh <laughs> They, they, they did relax some of the rules on the bids, but the net worth is still like significantly higher than yeah. anyway. Um, that was my next question was like, how how did they devalue it and by how much? <laughs> but, so in the latest round of selling it off, they did make some changes. Uh, the Indian previously the government was going to hold a stake still, okay. uh, and the Indian government is going to sell one hundred percent of its interest. So that's probably good for whoever picks up the operation. Um, the, they also started talking about like crazy bits with respect to the what it includes and what it's worth and like some of it was they've got uh landing slots and they went through the huge slot portfolio and then you look at the details and it's like they're talking about their the value of their slots in places that aren't restricted um <laughs> i mean they did a full list so it makes sense in in some case but also not really they're still uh 3.2 billion dollars in debt uh, dollars not rupees uh Wow. The yeah, three point two billion rupees is almost affordable. But how, uh, how do you get into that kind of debt and still be alive? They also they also have some really interesting numbers that they put in the proposal that they're trying to show off, like uh, employee cost as a total percentage of revenue. 
And so if you're employee, obvious to Faz's point about employees, that employee costs isn't the problem. Yeah, yeah. And your average is 11% versus the same number at Indigo, uh, Vistar is 12, Cathay is 17, British Airways and Lufthansa are 19. So like, no, no, we're going to, you could be profitable with us because, you know, the, you know, the cost, but yeah, it's crazy. But so the real question is they, you can make numbers say whatever you want. Sure. How are those numbers represented and are they actually realistic? Um, I, the part of the problem is I don't have the data. They don't really share the data for the others, uh, for the other airlines. They did actually share the full number of their permanent and contract employees and expenses for pilots and co-pilots, cabin crew, ticketing and sales, and all other as the four categories. And it's interesting, you know, basic math. So 1,884 pilots making 12 billion rupees a year, which I did the math on that the other night and came out to average pilot salary of 90,000 a year, U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And there's twice as many flight attendants and half and they make half as much which suggests that the average flight attendant makes like 20 to 22 grand but one of their expense problems is where they're putting these people up and the demands of the staff yeah. for higher end hotels and stuff so while the staff might not be a direct cost it's the demands of the staff that's impacting their expenses yeah the other interesting one to me is the, that post disinvestment the government requ- the requirement that government travel on government employees travel on air india will not continue to apply <laughs> so uh, the government is currently required to fly on Air India because it's a flag because it's owned by the company or owned by the government. Uh, that's not going to be the case going forward. So government employees just breathe the sigh of relief. Probably. <laughs> I, I have a number of Indian friends who refuse to fly Air India. I'm like, well, they're the cheapest. You know, you could, you know, they, they ask me, they always ask me for advice on booking flights. And I'm like, well, I mean, there's some Air India flights out of JFK or Chicago or you know, here, here's all these options. You can even go to San Francisco because we're on the West Coast. And uh, they're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> what else you got? That's pretty much everyone that I know who's Indian as well. <laughs> like I, I, when they used to do JFK Heathrow, right? I, I know someone who used to fly them regularly because they were cheap. And she was like, yeah. It was 300 bucks, but like, you know, one out of eight bathrooms worked and there was a bucket in the aisle somewhere collecting water from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, man. I have no idea why they're doing poorly. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, I have a question. This is and related to all this. How did they describe the 787 they've been parting out on cinder blocks? Oh, they do mention that they have some aircraft parked in their fleet. Uh, see if I can find that tweet I had. Park, I parked is a nice button. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's more than one. Um, slot portfolio, stats, stats, here we go, costs, grounded aircraft. Uh, two triple sevens, three seven eight eights, six or seven. I forget there's, I cut off part of the graph here. Six or seven, three nineteens, and five or six, three twenty ones. Why are all these aircraft parked? Yes. The deal also excludes the seven four fours. Uh, those are going to stick. Those will be maintained by the government and or the Air Force or something like that for VV, for VVIP services for uh, Prime Minister and such. Wow. How many seven four sevens do they have? Uh, somewhere between one and four. It's unclear exactly how many are operational. Okay. Um, they actually use today still on commercial service. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's, I, I think I pointed that out. I was when when Seth was in India. I, I just randomly pulled up flight radar. I was looking at Indian flights, and there was like a domestic flight on a seven four four. Blew my mind. Yeah, they use them. I think they go like the random Mumbai Delhi routes just because yeah. they have four active and two stored seven four fours. Yeah. So anyway, let's, let's let's talk about Swiss uh, Swiss Airlines. They're they're moving airports. Well, maybe uh, <laughs> in in Shanghai from Shanghai Pudong to Daxing. Beijing, Beijing, Beijing. Sorry, Beijing. Uh, from Beijing capital to Daxing. 
the new airport, basically. Which is interesting because the Star Carriers were supposed to stay at Beijing Capital. And I wonder if this is Lufty just splitting their service to both airports. So one really interesting thing to me is if I, I went back and sort of looked through the history of the Zurich-Beijing route, the, uh, Air China and Swiss have sort of alternated service but done it as a code share back and forth for probably close to 10 years now. Wow. But as I can tell, never both operated it at the same time. So the part where they're going to sort of switch it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um it is is I mean is Swiss seeing something shiny maybe yeah they see something shiny and new they uh, acknowledge they in the statement they put out they basically focused on access to better time slots mm. and that makes sense right it's a much less crowded airport they can do better flight times it's only a couple hours difference each direction but uh, they claim it's better mm, that's so, and it, I mean it, 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 they are better for the business traveler but not a ton better and they were the only option on the route so it's unclear that someone was really going to t- connect to get there instead. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to ask, wonder how much is O&D traffic from Zurich to Beijing versus all the intra-Europe connecting. And so yeah. can you, if you can go to Beijing Capital and Lufty and Daging on Swiss, then you've covered the base of covering both airports. Yeah. 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 They do lose connecting traffic at the China end. That's the only downside. True, true. Um, I mean, I guess I guess this is probably as good a time as any to – to talk about China and coronavirus and everything that's going on around the world right now. So um, Hong Kong is now included in United's waiver. I don't know if it's included in other airlines waivers, um, but it, it seems like, you know, there've been rumors of shutting down air travel between China and the United States. Um, I, I don't know how feasible that, I mean, I guess it, it, it's as feasible as it, someone saying no more flights between the United States and China right now. Um, but this has the potential to really kill air traffic uh, from Asia to Europe and the U.S., um, kind of everywhere. Uh, AA has also extended their um, waiver to Hong Kong. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I think that the Chinese government has already said as of Monday of this week, the 27th, uh, group tours are no longer happening. Yeah. Not being sold, not traveling, done. Uh, yep. That's that's bad news for airlines. That's bad news for hotels. That's bad news for the tour, tourism industry on a global scale. Yeah. Uh, you know, people dying is worse news, but they and, and containing this outbreak is certainly more important. But it's bad news. Um, just how long this lasts and how broad it goes will be real interesting to see. They, the Wuhan airport was mostly closed down, but there's a couple flights every now and then yep. going in or out. So that's also sort of super strange to see happening. Um, like, why are those flights actually happening? Yep. But it's it's bad. And yep. one of the really hard parts is trying to decide who to trust and what to trust in terms of some of the numbers and what we're seeing in terms of the real impact because of China's history with playing, I'll say loose with the truth, especially when things aren't great for it. Um, I I feel like, I feel like what speaks for itself is, um, you know, we went from, it's no big deal. It's contained to a city, complete city on lockdown in a matter of days. Complete province. It's no longer the city. Yeah. Yeah. The province is now contained. Um, that to me is that's enough for me to kind of say, eh, yeah. They, they also don't have enough of the testing kits, enough people to do the testing. So you know, there's a, the, one of the stories like, well, they're going to build a whole new hospital in ten days to manage it, which <laughs> is insane at many levels. Um, like you can't clean the dust out of a construction site in ten days, but whatever, sure. Um, but and maybe they are, but also the whole situation is just like they, they didn't have people testing. There's a writer story out. I think it was writers of someone like contacting people and being told, Oh, 
well, yeah, you're probably, you know, your aunt probably does have it, but she doesn't look well. She's pretty far along in being sick. So we're going to let her die rather than test her and just be done with it. Well, that's, that's a great way to, to handle it. I mean, well, I'm paraphrasing, but that seems to be the idea or people taking three or four days of waiting in line at hospitals to get a bed, to do the test. Cause it's not like a strep throat culture where they swab your thing and do on, go on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, uh, Foz and I had a trip initially planned to Asia this past week. Um, I skipped it. Foz went. Um, but I think generally, I think right now my rule is just avoid Asia until this is over. Yeah. I think I'll be canceling my trip in two weeks. It just seems like it's a mess. Like it's just it, it, the organization around it seems to be lacking a little bit. Like what's actually happening, and then the rumors yeah. you feed the rumor mill, and it just doesn't get better. Yeah, there's also it's a ten day ish incubation period, so it's really hard to tell. Yeah, if you're sick, and I mean that's ten days in the global travel world is a lifetime. Yeah, and you know I, I know they're opening up some screening locations and stuff uh, here at U.S. airports. I think Houston was one of them. JFK probably. Um, Houston, JFK, LA, San Francisco, and Chicago. Okay, so the major Um, they've added more cities to the screenings. Okay, but like you said, I mean, if its incubation period is ten days and someone comes in and they've just been exposed to it, those people are going to go home and infect you know others um, with with no way of knowing that they have actually had it when they entered. So is it adequate? Probably not. Um, And so maybe that's where these rumors of shutting down travel to China is is part of that's coming from. I don't think the rumors. I mean, there was actually press releases. From from the White House, there's yeah, there's something on CNBC from the White House that they're actually considering it. <laughs> okay, so there you go. <laughs> um, it sounds like the next story will be more important than to the airlines than ever. Um, Skytra is <laughs> uh, futures and derivatives trading platform for airline revenue. Um, this came out. This came out today. It looks like no, it's uh, no, it came out last week. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's owned by Airbus. Yeah, wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, and it's from it's headquartered in London, and basically it's it's allowing airlines to hedge their revenue risk through trading of cash settled futures. Yeah, <laughs> which I just don't see this ending well. How does this even make sense? So the argument being made is that it's a very capital intensive industry, and that to be successful, you have to invest huge amounts of money, and you need some sort of guarantee that you're going to have money you know coming in down the line and you don't know and so they're basically selling futures against what that revenue will be and they've got they claim to have a global plus regional models that can accurately or whatever settle you know it's gambling let's be very clear they're setting a line on what the future revenue will be and you're much like you buy oil futures for gas or whatever it is they think you can buy futures against what the revenue will be How how do i short the system I just, I just want to short all of it. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> remember that Southwest Airlines bought a huge chunk of oil futures in like what the 90s or 80s and lived off that for 20 or 30 years when everybody else, and they, were, they were paying you know 30% less in, on fuel than everybody else for a long time. But then they also had hedges much longer than anybody else when it went, up, when it went down. They had to redo their portfolio and it backfired the second time around because by then people actually knew what the hell they were doing rather than just claim, you know, gambling on, like literally throwing money on a blackjack, ta- uh, a blackjack table or a roulette wheel would make more sense. But um, I could argue that this... For some airlines, if you're maybe if you're not publicly traded and subject to the random quarterly shit that is a troublesome experience for a lot of big companies with heavy capital investments, uh, you could 
say, you know what, I want a 5% return, I can, you know, hedge to be within the four to 6% range. And if it goes above that, it, you know, someone else gets that money, but I'll take it if it's not, I could argue that that's reasonable. But it only covers the revenue side, it doesn't cover your cost side, it doesn't cover necessarily geopolitical insanity or whatever. So uh, I, I, I just I here, here's my it's problem. Not, it's not stupid. I think it's a weird bastardization of reality. Yeah, I think that's I think that's my, my main problem with it is here we are. We're seeing um, something we're, we're basically being told, hey, feel bad for the airlines. Uh, they need they need to hedge. Right. Uh, their profits. But then I go look at the numbers of recent airline quarterly statements. And to but, me, it seems like it's it, if you're losing money right now, you're bad at business. But it's in the very, U.S. It is, yes, a in very, the US. it is a very cyclical industry as well. True. Right, but correct. hedging doesn't fix that. No, it doesn't. But when since when does stupidity fix stupidity? <laughs> uh, yeah. Only if they both pull the trigger at the same time while pointing at each other. <laughs> uh Is this the mortgage crisis or any of the other random sort of derivatives messes that uh, banks have created and subsequently developed into huge insanities? Seems a lot like it. So I've got a question. Can a fellow airplane airplane manufacturer participate in this? (laughs) It's for the airlines. So that's the other part is I'm not sure who really is theoretically buying these. Like, should I go buy contracts on what I embed on what I think revenue is going to be five years from now? So I mean, here's the trade-off platform for what it's worth. It looks like they have a bunch of indices, and you basically buy shares of these indices. I'm guessing, just like you would buy, you know, an S and P 500 mutual fund. That's that's how I'm reading it. Yeah, but what, what's the underlying? It's 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 a bunch of they have a bunch of un- options contracts that they're selling. So you, you are essentially buying tranches of future shit. That that's what you're doing. It's, <laughs> Like it's this, it's it is the housing crisis. This is the definition. <laughs> and, of the like, and are you betting on individual airlines or no? It doesn't. No. It doesn't. Sound like that. I mean, I need to go. I now I'm now I'm interested. I hate you guys. <sighs> yes, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go read more on this. I mean, it's 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 it, you are. It looks like you're just buying. You know, here's here we've we've packaged together a bunch of people, a bunch of airline portfolio stuff, and. I, I want to see. I want to read one of these prospectuses. I'm sure it's enlightening and amusing at the same time. Yeah, because because as the public, can we buy this stuff? Because I'd be shorting this all day. I, I, <laughs> I, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do another. We'll do a follow up bit after you've done some reading. Yeah, that's what I'll, that's what we'll do. All right. Um, they actually have a whole section on the indices and everything. So anyway, um, let's talk about Condor and Lot because I find this fascinating. So Condor, uh, the German. It used to be a, uh, owned by Thomas Cook, uh, the airline that went out of business, uh, kind of a leisure semi-charter carrier, a scheduled charter carrier. Uh, and Condor is a scheduled service carrier out of Germany, um, was recently purchased by Lot uh, out of Poland. Um, I find this fascinating because I didn't realize Lot was in the business of buying other airlines. Um, they don't seem like the go-getter airline that's growing every day. So what's the, what's the reasoning behind this, Seth? Uh, well, you had the Condor operation was supposedly pretty, uh, was reasonably profitable. It was a decent operation in the top, within the Thomas Cook op, uh, organization. And don't forget they were owned by Lufthansa at one point too. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Uh, before the Thomas Cook bit. So the, the idea is that it's the parent company of Lot. They're going to run as a separate brand, uh, continue more or less with the same management, same brand, become a, remain a holiday 
focused carrier for you know leisure traffic um, and basically the lot parent group is just providing the necessary funding you know decided to replace the funding that the German government gave them as a bridge loan mm. um, so in in some ways it is it was a successful operation I think it can still be successful and so we'll just keep it going and we've got you know a couple hundred million dollars to spare to figure it out uh, I don't think we should expect to see it integrate into the you know the Polish network or anything like that the the one thing I will say is Lot has been doing some interesting things over the years with new routes that maybe should have existed for one, one reason or another, but didn't. Yeah. Uh, Chicago Budapest. Yep. Is one. There's that other weird little route uh, that they were doing once a week in the summer from Newark. Resco. Yeah, they, they do uh, Newark Polosnan. No, uh, it was started with an RZE. Oh, Riznan. Which uh, apparently they had also run once like back in the 90s. So it's not completely out of the realm of reasonable, but... It's they they're doing some interesting and creative things. I could see maybe trying to shift things around and run some of those. You know, if you're running the one-off, once-a-week kind of routes as a leisure service, using the Condor operation to do some of those too, and then using your seven eight sevens, which Lot has been dealing with Rolls Royce Trent one thousand issues for a long, long time, and continues to do so. Uh, use those planes for use, but use your seven eight sevens for more business-focused routes where you've got flatbeds and things like that. Uh, it's uh, it's okay. Szyzynin. I don't know how to say it. It's in northwestern Poland. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, since we've got a lot on the mind right now, they also supposedly were leasing a, tri- a trio of triple sevens, formerly Singapore. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they're picking up a few extra birds for that expansion as well. So, but I, don't I, think, were, I don't think that's for expansion. I think that's to address the Rolls Royce issues. Is it just yeah. the Rolls Royce issues? Yeah. Okay, because they're replacing their. They have Air Belgium right now for a lot of those flights, including yeah. some of the New York City flights. So. Yep, yep. They were doing they doing Air Belgium to uh, Warsaw sometimes, and the Krakow flight gets it every now and then. So good times. Yeah. So it 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 gets interesting. You know, it's nice it's nice to see that the air that the Condor didn't collapse. Surely. Yeah. Well, you know, we actually, you know, it's funny because uh, Lot had had a ton of like really, really crappy 767s for a long time. Yeah. Um, former producer, uh, I think his funniest business class experience uh, ever was on a Lot 767. Um, he's. <laughs> I remember him texting us asking, "What kind of plane is this? Why is it so crappy?" You think that's his, that's his best experience? Well, I guess that I mean, was I think for me, his best experience that still had pants on. I yeah, mean, I was gonna say. I mean, come on! I think there's nothing that beats the pants. The guy stripping down to his underwear. That's, that's true. That's but that true. was in first. Let's be fair. Yeah, it wasn't business, man. Um, let's talk about the triple seven X had its first flight. Finally, yes, uh, I got to see it. I watched it on, uh, I believe it was Sunday morning. Was it Sunday morning? Was it Sunday or Saturday? It was Saturday. I thought it was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday. I'm trying to remember where I was. That's what I was trying to do. I was going, like, where was I? Um, so it had its. It was the third try, right, that they had tried to get the plane uh, in the air. Uh, the second try, was it was winds were preventing it from taking off. Uh, and we finally had success on the third try. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, months, months late, they had to replace some engines, uh, you know, little things like that, but. Yeah, but it's it's happening. I mean, they're gonna they gotta do a whole flight test program now. They gotta get. I think this is the first of four that are expected. It's gonna be some time. Neither of the air, none of the launch airlines that were supposed to have planes in twenty twenty still expect to have planes in twenty twenty. So yeah, yep. But they're uh, expecting to have them next year, which isn't horrible compared to the seven eight or the three fifty. 
I mean, it's not like 10 years late yet, but it's a few years late. Yeah. Be, well, be, the ones that we're expecting it in 2020, we're really expecting it in 2019. So, yeah. Uh, Everything's pushed out a year, basically. 18 months at least. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Delta. We got a few Delta stories. So, uh, first, emotional support animals in general. Uh, you, U.S. government, there's a, there's a bill right now. Um, some legislation that's being looked at to basically eliminate emotional support animals uh, on airplanes in the cabin. Yes. Um, and keep basically the cabin for, uh, you know, animals that are sur- actual surface animals. So if you have a disability, that animal is there to help you. And they're actually going to trying to limit that to very much be only dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, there's, I mean, there is the, the uh, support horse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the general idea is to limit it to dogs. Um, I see this as a good thing. I think the amount of abuse I see of emotional support animals on a day-to-day basis in the airport is disturbing. It's egregious. I mean, well, think about it, right? We've gotten to the point where airports have started putting in stations. Yeah. For relief stations for pets. Yeah. That was a federal law. The feds required that. Oh, did they? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. They were required to put those in. So, um, which I mean, at some level, it made sense. You had dogs shitting on the carpet. You had you got to fix that. So, <laughs> yeah, but I guess the question is, I mean, how, how could federal law if not all the airports have it? It's being it was phased in by air, airport size. You know, like there's three tiers of airports, okay. and so maybe it's only major or something. But there has to be a pet relief station inside security. There's there's rules about that from the FAA. I'll see if I can find it. But Newark doesn't have one. Uh, really? Yeah. What do you think about that? Um. One must be, yeah, it is an FAA thing. Um, service area relief animal, uh, relief area, excuse me, um, was issued in November 2016. I mean, truth be told, it's Newark and they can go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one, there's one behind security in, let's see, C. They put it in like the C3 tier? Uh, I think, I actually think I saw it when we were out there. Well, maybe there's one in C, but there's definitely another thing in A. So there's one in B3. B2, and I'm trying to figure out where this one in C is outside security. Okay. I mean, they, they are they are supposed to have them inside security in most areas, too. It's an interesting – anyway, don't want to get too distracted. Um, yes, getting rid of the emotional support animal abuse on planes would be wonderful. Yes. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it because and, – And this so part of this, you know, um, is Delta has said, we've got a new uh, way of transporting your pet. Yes, the new <laughs> AirPod. I didn't uh, really. I thought it was April at first when I saw this. <laughs> no, it's a super swanky ride for uh, your pet. Bright pink yeah. in the pictures. Uh, they've. It's a partnership program. I actually. I think I actually talked to the folks that made the AirPod at one point um, over the years, just at one of the random conferences I've been at. So it's interesting. It's a very much upgraded version of that plastic crate with the holes in it that you're used to seeing. And like the features include things like an integrated spill proof water tray. So your pet stays hydrated through the trip. Uh, instead of just the big holes to let air through, they do like a offset double vented design so that the pet gets fresh air and some indirect light, but doesn't see the chaos going on around them outside. Um, it's got a GPS tracker built in so you know exactly where your pet is at all time. And through the Delta Cargo website, you can track it. Uh, I'm trying to think what the other benefits are. There, there's some interesting, neat things going on with it, uh, but industrial strength walls that are insulated to protect your pet against potential temperature fluctuations when moving between different climates and travel conditions. So I, I, now, do they have a uh, jet fuel sprayer in all the pods as well? 
Come on, we only throw, we only spray jet fuel on kids, not pets. Oh, okay. Um, the interesting thing to me about it is, and I I don't have a dog yet. We're getting one soon, but I don't have one yet, and so I've never, and we probably wouldn't fly with it anyways. But I've never looked at what it costs to fly with a pet. It's damn expensive. Yeah, it's not cheap. Uh, I looked up both, and so this care pod is being introduced into some limited markets to start. I looked up pricing on what it would cost, and a regular uh, fare or whatever, regular pet ch- checked as cargo goes for four hundred fifty dollars one way. It so, is in a type three container, which is what the care pod is. The care pod container is eight hundred and fifty dollars each way. Well, so this is what I don't understand, right? Pets generally do not like to be on planes. Right. They don't have balance. How cruel do you have to be that you have to drag your pet along with you? I mean, if you're moving, I get it. Like, okay. That, that, that's exception. You're moving. Fine. But, but people don't have that. Like, yeah. Injecting your dog. I mean, it's a lot of stress on the animals. I mean, that's a, a lot of like underlying health conditions come out when people put pets on planes. So, you know, if your dog has heart issues or lung issues, that stuff's it, it, it's worsened by putting them on an airplane where they're stressed and their body kind of goes into a state of um, panic um, and fight or flight type stuff. So yeah, I don't think people should be doing this all the time. Will there be people that do it? Yes. So this was not my thought. One of my friends a long time ago said, you know, I don't understand people who ha- who have pets. They put them in the kennel for a thousand dollars a week, two what, eight weeks. And he goes, if I had a pet, I'd take Rover to the uh, vet, put him down, come back and get a new one and spend 200 bucks. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> that's too far. Hell. <laughs> uh, this friend of yours, does, does his name start with an F? No, it was not me. I, I laughed. I did laugh, I'll be honest. But it was not my idea, because I don't think I could come up with anything that ingenious. Yeah. Uh, Interesting adjective to use there. We're going to... Let's move on. <laughs> So Delta Delta is also introducing uh, a new first class seat on the their A321 Neos. And Seth, you broke this story. Yes. Um, it was good to see you get a little bit of credit online as other people uh, brought this story up. So yeah. what's, what's going on here? Um, it's a new design from in partnership with Recaro and a company called Factory Design. And, the, and there's a group of Brits that do sort of aircraft interiors. They're one of the relatively bigger ones who does that stuff. Uh, it's designed for more privacy and also more storage and a larger tray table or more work area on the tray table compared to the current A321s. And the tray table, the rendering, there's just one rendering and there's not a ton of details about it. And Delta does not appear to be answering any questions about it, uh, which is awkward. It seems like this this news wasn't actually supposed to be released, but it came out through a thing with some stuff and oops, that happened. So um, yeah, they, it's... Hard to tell exactly what it's going to be in terms of pitch and some of those things, but like the seats have wings on the side to like make it so other people can't see your head. And so that's part of the privacy thing. And there's a bit of a divider between the two seats on each side. One of the things that I find super challenging is that I'm a window seat person and that wing thing is also on the window side. The wing thing makes me think of it as a baby carriage. I, mean, uh, I don't know. Let's let's be completely honest here, right? Is privacy the biggest thing you have a problem with? Wait, wait. Well, on domestic airlines these days, if I if if I had a problem with privacy, it would be my laptop, not my face. Yeah, exactly. I don't want you looking at what I'm working on. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't really get it. I'm also out because it's Ricardo. So fuck them. 
Wow. <laughs> we, we get yeah, one F bomb episode. I use it. I don't like their seats. Okay. I, I just. I, Even I, premium? I, you know, I haven't. Okay, there's I gotta one. get you to come to Hamburg and sit and do the demos with all the different models that they they make and try them all out, and then you can just be pissed at the airlines for buying the cheap versions. How's that? Okay, okay. Yeah, that's better. I like that. I can I can do I'll that. Hang out in Hamburg. It's a fun. Tri- it's a fun show. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I'm just. I, I don't know. I think. I think. I think the novelty of the wings on the side is kind of stupid. Yeah. I think. I'm uh, bags getting like backpacks getting caught on them as they walk down the aisle. Yeah. Just what I need to see is someone getting clotheslined by their own bag. Um, and you'd have, but you'd be there. You'd have front row seats in your first class cabin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it'd be private too, so I get to watch it, and they wouldn't be able to see me react. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, I, and if it's a hard shell, I'm guessing then it's like a seat pan thing for. Yeah, client. that's not. It's not clear if it's a hard shell or articulating or just normal recline. Um, okay. My guess, looking at the shape, is it seems more like either a blended or normal recline. Mm-hmm. Rather than a proper hard shell, it's just, there's a gap between the side pieces and the seat back. Yeah, like there's a line there that the hard shells often don't have. One interesting thing uh, some accessibility folks were talking about is it does. It's unclear how the armrest will get out of the way for uh, reduced mobility passengers to get in and out. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. And my inquiry, as I said, they're not answering any questions. So, but I mean, maybe they're just expecting them to be in the aisles only, just like they do in coach. But even then, the armrests—they're connected to the side of the seat. No, half, uh, of, half of all rows in at least in the premium cabin have to have a armrest that can move out of the way for a lateral transfer from a wheelchair. Is my understanding of the rules? <laughs> it's what makes the it's, it's what makes the United seats armrest so nice because it like goes all the way. You can basically get out of your seat even when the food's yeah, being served. Fully slide down. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. apparently. It's, uh, I was chatting about this with John Walton, uh, that John who's been on our show a few times before and also very knowledgeable about this stuff. And he was noting that he thinks Collins Aerospace, uh, whatever they're called this year, uh, has a patent on that design. So that may be a challenge. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I guess the last, I mean, there's two stories left. Um, Eastern Airlines, who we all thought was dead still, uh, yet. is adding Cabo San Lucas service from JFK. Should, should I hold they my breath? To. Um, they want to. Okay. Turns out that because of the way they're structured and their size and things like that, the FAA has to approve, or the Department of Transportation has to approve their transition to include more of their aircraft in scheduled service as opposed to just charter ops. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they currently own ten, operate 10 767s and are looking to go from one in scheduled service, which is currently the uh, either Guayaquil, I guess the Guayaquil route. Or Guiana, I forget which one's active, and the other one plus Cabo San Lucas. They want to start running nonstop from JFK by uh, beginning of March. Hmm, interesting. And their current main investor says he's got tens of million, like twenty or thirty million dollars more to drop in if that need, if you know, if it needs to. I mean, there's an airline in India he could buy. Yeah, he might not be that stupid. <laughs> uh, and then the last story: uh, there's a new Korean airline SkyPass program. I didn't realize that it was changing, but apparently it, it is and has uh, well, changed. The has part is the really weird bit. They provided like two years' notice oh. on what's going on, and I, for bits of it, like the new Elite program will start with. If, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, I still have that tab still open. It was like it starts with what you've earned. Yeah. The re- review of new elite status qualifications based on qualifying miles and segments earned between January 1st and December 31st, 2021 will take effect in February, 2022. Hmm. 
So they're giving you a full year notice on elite status. They're, like many programs, better earning on premium, worse earning on cheap economy. Awards, some get more expensive, some get less expensive. I think they showed numbers for the breakdown of their own medal where they fly. And it was of the 100-ish destinations, it was like a 60-40 split. Or 120 destinations were 60-40-20 and 60 got more expensive, 40 got cheaper, and 20 didn't change. Something Mm. like that. I mean, so that's it's actually not awful. It's decent that they're giving you so much notice. That's yeah. kind of unheard of in the it's airline almost, industry. It's almost too much in some ways because I think people are, gonna be like, are either going to forget about it or think that they're going to earn the better points now and they don't get them until next year and things like that. So there's some challenges there. But overall, I, yeah, I agree that it's nice that they have that much notice. <laughs> Fascinating. Are either of you guys part of their program? Uh, they're also adding cash and miles. No, I'm not. I no. Never, I 64 routes will require less mileage. 49 routes will require more, and 12 will be the same. So I was close with the 60-40 thing. I just flipped it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. I think that's a show, gentlemen. Yes. Uh, to all our listeners, you can find us on Twitter, at DotsLines, moredotsmorelines.com. Uh, leave a comment. Tweet us. We'd love to hear from, from listeners. Uh, if you use Korean SkyPass, let us know what you think of the changes. Until next time, happy travels. Take care.